Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I'm glad this morning he's our living hope. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 6. This morning I want to thank Pastor Harold for giving me the opportunity to preach today. Proverbs chapter 6 is where we'll be at. It's great to be able to worship. I would have nothing more in my life on Sunday to be in God's house, have my family in God's house, be able to praise his name this morning. If you have your Bibles in Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to be looking at some seven things that the Lord loves this morning. This verse may be familiar to you if you read your Proverbs through every day. Uh, there's 31 Proverbs. Most months have 31 in them. You can read a proverb a day, so you may be familiar with this. But in verses 17 and 19, we're going to read this. If you have your Bibles, please stand with me, and we'll read these verses. We'll start in verse 16, my bad. It says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that defies of wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to run to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come and just pour our hearts out to you this morning, be able to worship you in the corporate gathering. I thank you, for Lord, for those blessings that you've given us. Be with this passage as we just read it in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at a couple of things here out of this passage. I want to give you just a sort of a background of, of Proverbs and, and who the writer is so you can understand a little bit more. Uh, the writer of Proverbs was Solomon. We know that if you've been in church at any point of time. Solomon, they believe, was the richest man that has ever lived, not only in his time, but in all of the time of the world. So right now, the richest man in the world, does anybody know who that is? I looked it up yesterday because me and my brother, we talk about weird things. Um, the richest man in the world is the owner of Amazon. How many of you like to shop at Amazon? Okay, and you've had something delivered to your house from Amazon. Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world at 100 and some stats go from 119 to $125 billion in wealth. He bought a house that was $4 million and it was not even a scratch off of how much money he had. And so some scholars believe that Solomon was even richer than even the people today. If you look at what he had, and, and it goes through and talks about all the stuff that he had accumulated, he was the richest man in, in all of the history of the world. He was the second wisest man that ever lived on the world. Outside of Jesus Christ, he was the wisest man that ever had lived. And the reason why this was there was because God came to him in a dream one day, said, Solomon, you've done well in your life, and I'm going to give you anything you want to do, anything you want to have in life, okay? It's like that, that dream that we've always had, the genie that comes and says, you get one wish, what's that wish? And Solomon's wish and Solomon's desire was to be a wise man. And God said, because you've asked of a good thing, I'm going to give you everything else. How many times has... God given us opportunities and we didn't take advantage of those opportunities the way God wanted us to. Solomon said, you know what, I'm going to take this opportunity, I'm going to do the right thing with it. 
And so the book of Proverbs was written by the wisest man that ever lived, the richest man that ever lived, and he wrote it to his sons to give them wisdom. I've gotten all this knowledge, now I'm going to impart it to you so that you can live the right life. I'm a father, I've got two kids, one on the way. As a father, we want our kids to turn out right, right? We don't want our kids to grow up and be bums on the street or to be drug addicts or any of those things. We want our kids to do the right thing. You know, I began thinking even just this past couple of weeks, my dad came down and he started helping me wire my upstairs in my house and, and uh, we went to lunch at Fast Fields out in Statesville. Uh, it's one of my favorite places to go now. Uh, Eric introduced me to it and said, hey, you need to go by there. My wife, she's not as fan of the fast food, um, gas station food, I guess would be the right term for it. Uh, she may be on the little bougie side, uh, but I love it. I love the, the, the grease. I love all the good things that come out of it. So, so we went there, and, and my dad, we got done wiring everything up, and he said, hey, let's go get some lunch. So we went out to lunch, and we're sitting there, and he said, James, he said, I'm proud of you. And, and just the, the, you know, the son inside of me, the, the, the dad's boy, my hero saying that to me, began just getting warm and fuzzy inside and, and him telling me, you know, your kids are doing well and, and you're, you're, you've built a house and, and your, your marriage is good. And, there's, and, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but, but he said, you know, you, you've done well for yourself. God, God's blessed you. And he said, I'm proud of you, son. And in that moment, I began to think, of my own kids and the times where I'll sit Brody down and he just had his, his first report card from second grade and, and I sat down with him and I said, Brody, I'm proud of you. You got all A's. Now one of your A's was a little low, the 90. Okay, but we can get that up. You can get a little better at it, but I'm proud of you. You've done well. And on, the, on his face, the grin, the excitement to hear dad say, I'm proud of you was overwhelming for him. And so as a father, we, we get to this point where where we want our heavenly father and our earthly father to be proud of us. And so in order for those things to happen, we typically do what our earthly father wants us to do. If, if, if my dad wants me to live a good life, he's going to be proud of me when I do that. If my dad doesn't want me to live a good life, or wants, if I do things that my dad doesn't want me to do, he won't be proud of me. It's very simple. And so God, in this passage of scripture, lays out some things that he hates, the Bible said. Pride, lying, killing, wicked thoughts, actions that are evil, false witnesses towards one another, sowing discord. Now this isn't a full list of everything that God hates. There is more than this. Just like when we look at the things that he loves, it's not going to be a full list of what he loves. But we can get the point of what is it that God wants us to do. And so when we look at those seven things in contrast, we can see that what he loves as a son, I want my dad to be proud of me. And I think all kids would say they want their parents to be proud of them. So let's look at these seven things from Scripture and apply them to our life and, and what it means when the Bible says these things. And so as we begin the first one, it says that a proud look. And there's a couple of ways that I could have interpreted this as far as the flip side. And we're going to turn it up on its head. And so I just wrote down a kind smile. Verse 17, the first part of it, a kind smile. I began thinking of, of our life and my life in particular. When I am out and around people, 
And I, maybe I don't have a mask on that day so they can see my smile. Uh, but, but when we're out and around people, how am I treating or how am I coming in contact with people that aren't like me? How am I coming in contact with people that are around me? And as I begin thinking of that, as I begin examining that in my life, I begin comparing sort of our attributes to Jesus because I want to really focus in on, on these seven things and how they apply to Jesus and how we can sort of mesh these two together. And so when I begin looking at Jesus, I begin seeing that he went to his disciples. And Peter and James and John were out on a boat and they were fishing and they were dirty and they stunk and they weren't the prettiest people. Okay, they were young, snotty-nosed teenagers. Okay, most scholars believe that Peter was the oldest and about 17 years old. And all the rest were younger, so these were young teenagers. And Jesus came to them and said, hey guys, do you like fishing out there? And they said, yeah, man, we're good. He said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He showed kindness to them. He began to share, hey, there's better things in life than what you're doing right now. And what you're doing right now may seem important, but come follow me. Come follow me. And, and as he lived his life, he began showing these examples. We, we've talked before, I've talked before about the Samaritans and how, how they were the hated people. They were the half-breeds. They didn't want to be around, the Jewish people didn't want to be around them. And Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And when he said, I must go through Samaria, this is what his disciples said, Jesus there's a better way. It'll be shorter. It'll be easier. Let's just go this way. And Jesus said, I have to go this way instead. And so he went to Samaria and he told his disciples, hey, y'all go on ahead, go get some stuff for me. I'm going to hang out here by the well at about two o'clock in the afternoon when it's really hot. No one wants to be out here at this time. I'm going to hang out here. You guys go ahead. And his disciples went ahead, and this woman that had been married multiple times, who was lived with the man, who no one would have seen a Pharisee or a religious person around this person, Jesus said, that's the person I'm coming for. That's the person that I have to go see. And Jesus went to her and began to share with her. And the disciples came back and said, what are you doing talking to this lady? And Jesus' response was, we must be about our father's business. We must reach out to people that don't look like us, that don't smell like us, that don't talk like us, because that is what God wants us to do. And it all starts with a kind smile. I began to think through, even fast forward here a little bit, to the moment where Jesus was about to be crucified. And the soldiers put a bag on his head and began to punch him, began to spit on him. And they began to say, who is, if you're God's son, who is it that's punching you right now? Now, Jesus knew. He knew who it was. He knew who their families were. He knew how old they were. He knew all these things, and yet his response was, I'm going to stand quiet. And he took those punches, and he took those lashes for you and for me, because he loved us that much. And when he went to the cross, a typical crucifixion involved multiple soldiers. And one of the soldiers, or two of the soldiers, would hold a victim's arms down on that cross and would begin nailing the nails into his hand. And yet my Savior said, hey guys, I'm going to lay my own life down. And he laid his own hand down and said, go ahead and start nailing. He laid his other hand down. He crossed his feet and said, you don't need to hold me down because I'm going to lay my own life down. And in that moment, the love 
that Jesus had for us. And even after that, when he was on the cross and he was being crucified and he was at the point of death, he said, Father, forgive them, forgive me for what you've done because the best that we could do in life put Jesus on the cross. The best that we could ever do in life, the goodness that we can do puts Jesus on a cross. In church today, Jesus said that he forgives us. And so I want to ask you, in the name of Jesus, are we lifting people up today? In this time of need, are we lifting people up or are we avoiding people? Do we see someone that maybe doesn't look like us or smell like us and we say, you know what? I could go down the other aisle at Walmart. I don't have to worry about talking to them. Or are we purposely going to maybe have an interaction with them? Because that's what Jesus did. He had a smile that was kind, not a proud look. The second thing we look at here is a truthful tongue. A truthful tongue. The Bible says a lying tongue. So we just switched one word. A truthful tongue. This is the first attribute that begins talking about our tongue. There's three of them in this list. The first one begins talking about our tongue and how we use our words. Are we being truthful this morning? We must be a people who are honest and upright in our speech. Every day I pray, God, allow my words to be honest. Allow my words to be, pr- to be pure, to be truthful. Allow my words, because in and of myself, I may not tell the truth. I may do something that's wrong. But if I am praying to God and saying, God, allow my words to lift people up. Allow my words to build people up. And we begin praying that prayer. We begin asking God to work through us. We begin to, to say, I want to be an example through my words. I want my words when I'm around people to lift them up. I'm guilty of being sarcastic. My, my wife tells me all the time, James, you've got to stop being as sarcastic as you are. Around my family this week, it's really easy for me to, to, to say a jab. And, and you guys have been there. You know when you're around people that, you, that you're really close to, you can say things or do things. And sometimes my wife will jab me and say, hey, James, you probably went a little too far. You made your sister a little upset on that one. Okay, your brother just walked out of the room because he's upset at you. And I've got to go and I've got to apologize and I've got to do those things. But we have to ask ourselves, what are our words doing? Our tongue, it's so powerful. James discusses it all through the book of James about how it's so powerful and it's so small. But, but really the question I want to ask us in this is, if we were to go to your closest friend, your neighbor, someone that's around you a lot, how would they say that your words are? Would they say that your words are building people up? Would they say that your words are tearing people down? What would they say about your actions in that moment of your words? So a kind smile, a truthful tongue. The third one we want to look at here is acts of kindness. So the last part of verse 17 says, feet, I'm sorry, hands that shed innocent blood. Acts of kindness in our world today where there's flooding and politics are crazy and COVID is everywhere, are we showing the love of Jesus to other people? Are we giving acts of kindness? And I'm thankful for our church and taking all 25 of our angels. Last week they were gone and they were, they're being filled right now in the 70 backpacks that we've done and, and the offering that we've taken up for our flood victims. We have done some great things. But church, my question for you this morning our love is never enough. Our love in and of ourself 
is never enough. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the same writer of Proverbs, okay? Solomon wrote three books. He wrote Proverbs, that was to his sons to give him wisdom. He wrote Song of Solomon, which was a book about dating, about to his sons, about, hey, this is the people you should be around. But then he wrote a book about Ecclesiastes. If you're not strong in your faith, I don't advise you to read it because it's really confusing because he says things that are sort of upside down. And so he uses a phrase in Ecclesiastes that says that our good works, our good deeds in and of ourselves, is like having a bag with a hole in it. And that bag with a hole in it, when you begin to put your good deeds in it, what do you think happens to those good deeds? They fall out the bottom. And they're never going to fill that bag up. It's like having a bucket and you go fishing and you go to put some water in it. And you catch a couple of fish and you turn and there's no water in your bucket because all your water is going out of your bucket. And so that's the illustration that he's given here of our own good deeds. It's like having a bag with a hole in it. So if we take that and we, we sort of flip it upside down, God's love and God's mercy is a bag that is full and is complete and is whole. And when we put those good deeds in because of God's goodness begins to fill up. You see, my own love, my own ability to love my wife, I will fail her if it's just my love. The love that I show to my kids, if it's just through me, I'm going to fail my kids. Church, if it's just my love that I love you, I'm going to fail you. But if I can love you through Jesus, and I can love my wife through Jesus and my kids through Jesus, that love is everlasting, and he's going to be able to give me more love tomorrow than I had today for my wife. He's going to give me more love tomorrow for my kids than I had for them today. He's going to give me more love for you than I had for you tomorrow than I had today. Because I'm loving through Christ. God's love is all filling. No matter the bag that we have, God is able to mend those holes. We must share his love and his name everywhere we go and in all things that we do. As I began thinking about Cindy and adopting her and taking care of her needs and being able to help her this year and about our community as a whole, adopting these 30 to 40 families and helping them out through this flood time, my mind immediately went to Jesus adopting us into his family. And how pure the example is of adopting someone. It is a pure, literal interpretation, illustration, however you want to say it, of Jesus adopting us into his family. When we were dead and without our sin, and we were corrupted, and we had nothing good in us, Jesus said, I'm going to bring you into my family. I'm going to adopt you into my family. And there's no greater love that we can show than showing someone an adoption love through Jesus Christ. It is an example of the gospel. And as we adopt this family and we show them the love of God, Cindy has told me every time I've talked to her, I just want to thank the church and, and thank you guys for all the blessings that you've given me. I don't know how I could have went through some of this without you guys there. I found this song the other day. Guys, if you'll play it, it's a one-minute clip of a song. I want you to listen to the words. Maybe they'll play it.
I go and I minister to those people that were at their hotel, and they come to me and they say, hey, can we just have someone come talk to us? We've got people that are hurting. We've got people who have lost their loved ones. They don't know what to do tomorrow. I've got the answer for them. I've got the answer right here that God has given us. A song, another song that I heard was, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. And when we go out and about our life this week, are we showing the love of Jesus through our actions? As we began studying this and as I began seeing this, I began looking at how it went from an external smile to an external words to an external actions. And then in the middle here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon wrote down a heart that thinks or devises wicked imaginations. And I began thinking it went from exterior, exterior to this interior part of our life of a heart that thinks on good imaginations. And we move from exterior things to something that only we can know. I can't know your heart this morning. I can't know if you're going to make an angel tree bag, if, if you're going to get a backpack, if you're going to have the good intentions or a good heart. Only you know that. And the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and that no man can know it. And the Bible even goes even further to say that our heart is dead in our sins. And that in and of ourselves we can do no good. Goes back to that love. If I love my family just through myself, it's not going to be good. It's not going to fill my wife up. I'm not going to give her enough love just enough myself to fill her up. I've got to love her through Jesus. But God says that I can come into a heart that's deceitful. I can come into a heart that's no good, and I can change that heart. I can give that heart opportunities to love God through his thoughts and through his desires. And as I began studying that, my mind went to Philippians 4.8, put that on the screen, guys. Philippians 4.8, look at this. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, this last phrase right here, think on these things. Church, this morning, what is our heart thinking on? Are they thinking on true, honest, just, lovely, things of good report, virtue, and praise? Is that what we're thinking on this morning? When I began to study that phrase, think on these things, I found another version of Scripture. I think it was the New King James, which is what's in your pews right now. I believe this is what it says, meditate. Meditate on these things. And I began studying that little word, think, meditate. And this is what it comes to. It comes to ponder or to deeply have in thought. I began thinking of, of an illustration that goes with this. How many of you have a farm in here? Okay, a couple of people, not many. Okay, how many of y'all have ever seen a cow before? Okay, I think I got some hands raised. We're starting to wake up a little bit. Okay, cows, they, they roam out in the field and, and they don't really have any brain pattern going on. They, they eat some grass and they move on. They eat some grass or some hay or whatever it may be. And they just began moving on. But when you study what a cow does when he consumes that grass he begins to chew on it and digest and this isn't the prettiest picture but he digests it and then after he's done digesting it he has to literally vomit it back up and he begins to chew it again it's called chewing the cud okay and that cow begins to chew on it again and swallow it and do the same thing over and over again swallow 
throw up, swallow, throw up. But he's continually chewing on this food. This is the picture here when it says meditate, when it says think. It's continually meditating on the good things, on the word of God that is in our life. And our heart, in the deepest moment of our life, that is what we're meditating on. Are we meditating on God's word this morning? Is it something that we, not in the morning where we get up and we say, all right, it's time to read my Bible. Got to do that checkoff list on my version app. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, have a good report. Think on these things. All right, I read my Bible today. I'm good to go. And we don't think about that verse anymore throughout the day. I hope that's not how our study is. But church, that is what the Bible says when it says think on these things. It's reading this verse in every moment of the day, thinking through it and meditating on it and saying, God, in my heart, what am I meditating on? So in our hearts this morning, what is it that we're meditating on? Is it good thoughts or is it bad thoughts? Are we taking the things that are good that are on this list that God gives us and says, I want to chew on this. I want to meditate on it. And so we go from this exterior right in the middle, right into our innards, just to hit us right in the middle of our heart and say, what are you doing? And then it goes into this, feet that run to do good. Because the Bible says feet that are swift to running to mischief. Begins to transition back into our actions and our physical ability here. And what we're doing, and I want to look at this verse here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Because as I began thinking of this, and, and we're so familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, church. We know the, the faith hall of fame, and we love looking at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Samson, and those are great stories. But a lot of times when we focus on Hebrews chapter 11, we forget Hebrews chapter 12. And the very next verse after this hall of fame says this, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about such a creative cloud, a cloud of witnesses. That's Hebrews chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us. And let us run with patience. You went too far. With patience. Go back to the race that is set before us. And then we go to verse 2. And it says this, Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What are we looking at this morning? If my feet, if I'm looking at people around me, if I'm looking at the next president or the former president, if I'm looking at a mayor or a county commissioner to lead my actions, I'm probably not going to go to do good things. But if my eyes are fixed on Jesus, if I'm looking unto Jesus, my feet will always go to those who are in need. My feet will always go to the ones that need my help because I'm following after his example. We look at the story of Jesus and how he went to that woman at the well church because he was looking unto his father. And his father was saying, hey, you need to go here. In church this morning, are we looking unto Jesus? What are our eyes fixed on? What are we running to? Are we running to serve Jesus or are we running to serve our sports? Are we running to serve others or are we running to serve ourselves? What are we running to this morning? What are we doing with our time, church? And I'm preaching to myself. I've, I've been studying this all week long as I've been around my family and, and having time in the morning to study and look through these things. Because church, what are we doing with our time? What are our feet doing? 
What are our actions doing this morning? We transition to the last two points here, and I'll be quick. Number six, a true witness speaks truth. It goes back to this words again, and our tongue. The first time we talk about our tongue was when it was talking about honesty. Now we move to our words as a witness. In our life, who are we sharing Jesus with? Is it the lady in the McDonald's drive through line? Not the person behind you. I don't want you getting out of your car and running back in there and talking to them. But the lady that, that's taking your money. And you've got a moment to sit there because the line doesn't always move as fast in Alexander County. Okay, so you may have three or four minutes to sit there and talk with her. Are you sharing Jesus with her at that moment? Are you saying, hey, what are you thankful for? You've already started the conversation. Hey, how's your day? Because you're giving them your card. Or they, maybe they said something to you. So now you're having the opportunity to use your words to speak to them. Maybe it's your favorite call of all time, your customer service representative, when you're calling to talk to someone, and they say, hey, uh, what's your problem today? Or maybe they're calling you about something, and you get the opportunity to share Jesus with them. Maybe, because I think we all do this, if you go to a gas pump, and you take the pump out, or at least I do, maybe I'm the only abnormal one around here, you take your gas pump out, and you put it in, and you're standing beside your car because you're not supposed to go and sit back in your seat or you could cause an explosion at the gas station. And so you, you put your gas thing in there, and you're standing beside your car, and your person right across from you is doing the same thing. Hey, man, how's it going? And they're going to typically respond, I'm doing pretty good. I hate my life. world's coming to an end. Whatever their response is, okay? You don't know what you're going to get when you ask that question. Most of the time in, in my life, I'm guilty of this. That's as far as the conversation goes. All right, man, have a good day. We've already started the dialogue. Why don't we go a step further and begin talking to them about Jesus? Why don't we go a step further and say, man, I'm thankful for this weather today. It's starting to cool down. I'm a fat, hot guy. I like when it's cold. Okay. Whatever it may be, you've already started the conversation. Now you can go into whatever else farther. Maybe it's the person in line at Walmart. You've all got your masks on. And you're all standing there waiting about 25 minutes for the one line at Walmart that's open to be open for you to get there. And you're just standing there like cattle going to the slaughter, waiting and waiting and waiting. Okay, why not turn around and talk to the people that are around you? Why not give that opportunity for God to say, hey, that person wants me to talk to them. Too often, church, we're afraid to just say, how's your day, and start the conversation. Trust me, when you begin the conversation, God will give you the words to say for the rest of it. God will begin to prick your heart because we must be a witness that is speaking truth in our words to others. And then the last point here in this passage that Jesus says, there's, or that Solomon says there's seven things that the Lord loves, is a person that creates unity. Again, with our words, we go into this point of the last time that we refer to our words here is a word of unity. Are we a person that brings people together or are we a person that's tearing people down? Begin studying again as I'm looking at Jesus' life and I'm looking at the things that he said in bringing and building people up. Jesus said this, come unto me, all you are heavy and weary laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because what you have is heavy and mine is not. And, and take that yoke and take that, that burden that you have, give it to me and I'll help you through this. And I begin to think of my words and I begin to think of how sometimes I say to people, hey, you think you've got it bad? Come tell me your problems, and I'll unload a wagon full of problems on you. You thought your load was heavy? Just wait till you hear my load. Your load's about to be a lot heavier. 
And a lot of times that's our thought. Is, is we begin to just unload all of our heavy burdens on people when we get to the heart of it and we say, you know what? The gospel is the greatest unifying power that the world has ever seen. And when we're able to share the gospel with people, when we're able to go to people, like I met Tim just a couple of days ago at the hotel, and me and Mark Marshall at the hotel at East Taylor's, but we began talking with Tim. And we began asking him his life and, and where he was from and how he was a former police officer up in Detroit and how he saw some gangs and he saw all these things. And then we went into, hey, what's your relationship with Jesus? And just in that moment, we already had the conversation going and we began to turn the conversation to Jesus. Because in that moment, he didn't need to hear anything else than Jesus and the gospel. And he shared with us how he was a converted Christian and how he was raised in Catholicism and, and how he saw the true gospel. And we began talking through that. Church, the greatest force that the world has ever seen is the gospel. And too often we want to hide in our buildings and not show the world that the power that God has given us. I've been raised in church my entire life. 31 years, I'll be 32 in December, next week I'll be 32. And for all 32 years of my life, 32 years and nine months because my mom was pregnant with me, she was in church every Sunday, she drove a bus, fully pregnant, picking kids up and bringing them to church, okay? The first Sunday I was in church, I was on a bus, in a car seat with about 40 or 50 bus kids, okay? That was my life growing up. I have been in church my entire life. And too often in my teenager and adult years, the church is about hanging out in a building. I've been in Alexander County for three years. And too often, businesses and things in our community are more powerful at getting their agenda out than the church is getting the gospel out. Because it's not an agenda. It's the thing that changes the world. It's the thing that has changed my life. And too often, we sit and we're happy with being in church. We're happy with being inside of our buildings. And we don't want to show the world the power that God has for us. And it took a, a devastating act of a flood for 40-some churches to meet in a room that otherwise would not meet there because maybe we use a different version of Scripture. Maybe this church doesn't sing the right songs, so I can't even go and have lunch with them. It took a flood to displace 40 families for these pastors to get together and say, you know what, we've got to do something in our community. And church, I want to be a church that is reaching our community. I want to be a church that is reaching out and creating unity inside of our community. And we must get to the point and the place where we say God's power is greater than anything else in the world. And I'm going to do everything I can to reach my neighbor. I'm going to do everything I can to reach the person beside me that's hurting. I'm going to do everything I can to reach out and share the gospel with just one person. And make a difference in that one person's life. Church, that's the point we've got to get to because that's what God and that's what the gospel brings is unity around us. So as we transition into our conclusion and Mark and Tamara begin to come and play, I want to ask yourself this question. There's seven points here that Solomon has laid out so eloquently in scripture and I probably butchered them up by saying these seven on their head and, and changing them around. But I want to ask you this question. Are our actions pleasing to the Lord? Are we showing a grin? Are we being honest? Are we showing kindness? Are we meditating on the things that are good? Are we running to do good and sharing the gospel? And ultimately, are we creating unity around us? You know, I'm not doing all those things perfect. When I began 
looking through these seven things, and I began examining my life and asking myself, how is my smile? How is my happiness around people? How is my tongue? And, and I've had to come to some of you, and I've had to apologize for the things that I've said and the way I've said things. And it took that pride that I had in my life, and it brought me down. Because God can't use pride, and I've understood that, and God wants to use this in a great way. You can start playing Tamara. What is it in our kindness? Are we actually being nice to people? Are we meditating on those things that God says we should meditate on? Maybe you say, Pastor James, I've, I'm good on six of them, but there's one that I'm just really struggling with. Today. Let's, let's deal with it today. Let's not wait till we go home and maybe you're sitting at your house right now or maybe in your parking lot. Let's deal with it right now, church. You see, I want to please God with, with all of my life. And when my life comes to an end, as Paul says, I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think that all of us would say when you stand before God, you want to hear, just like your dad says, I'm proud of you. We want to hear God say, well done, I'm proud of you. You did good. But I know in my heart that if I'm not doing good, I won't hear well done. I'm going to hear, well, you, you could have done a lot better. And we all can do better. But are we going to hear well done? We won't if we haven't done well. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor James, a lot of what you say I don't understand. But when you started talking about the heart and you started talking about how I could do nothing good in my own life and I'm dead in my trespasses of sin and I've never been to the moment where God can change my heart. Maybe that's all you needed to hear this morning. Maybe if you're listening online or, or wherever you're listening at, maybe that's what you needed to hear this morning. And God says there's a way for you to have a heart that has changed. But what is it that you're struggling with today? Ask God to help you this morning to work through them. It may be right there in your seat. You may want to come forward. I'm not going to come to you and pray with you due to COVID unless you want me to. But maybe you just need to come forward and say, God, I want to surrender these things. I want to have a, 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 a words that do well. I want to run to you. I want to look to you in my life. I don't know what it is. Only you know in here this morning what it is in your life. I've had to deal with this message for about a week and a half, and it's been tough. So church, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this day. We want to pray that you would just use these words that I've said this morning to honor you, to uplift you, and in any way, shape, or form, bring you the honor and glory to it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.